It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of murder and the sexual abuse of children. Today on the murder sheet, we're going off script. This is something that we actually do with our Patreon patrons about twice a month, but we thought we'd kind of try it out and maybe answer a few listener questions, you know, just off off the cuff today. So if things sound a little bit uh, more, more freewheeling than usual, it's because Kevin and I are working without a script. We're just sort of reading your questions and trying to answer them as best we can. Uh, we got a lot going on lately in a few different cases, and so we thought it would be a good time to sort of step back and, you know, assess where we are, address where we are, and just sort of take questions from people about what we're doing, what we've done, and what we're going to do in the future. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders. 
1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the murder sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We're the murder sheet, and this is questions and updates on Delphi, Burger Chef, and more. These are in no particular order. We just sort of randomly uh, assembled them all into a Google Sheet. So uh, here we go. I believe the first question you're going to read is from Michelle. Yes. Okay. So this is a question from Michelle. If my memory serves me correctly, I think in the past Kevin has said he requested some documents through the Freedom of Information Act on the Burger Chef murders. Have any of those documents come through yet? If so, any chance on an update on Burger Chef, or since it's getting kind of late in the year, would those updates be in a November episode? Great question. That's a great question, Michelle. You are absolutely correct. I actually filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the FBI all the way back in April of 2019. which that, is <laughs> Your tax dollars at work. Even before I met Anya, and I am still awaiting for that request to be fulfilled. The FBI was actually involved in the Burger Chef case very briefly, but it is likely that they may have some documents that would be really interesting to those of us who still care about the case. Whenever I ask for an update as to when I should expect these documents at last, they always say, oh, about six months. So as soon as we get them, we'll certainly let you know. With that said... I will add that there are cases related to the Burger Chef case. And in one of those cases, we recently obtained a few hundred pages of documents. And I don't mean to be too much of a tease, but there were some very interesting things in those documents. And we will be covering those on our next round of Burger Chef episodes, which will be in November. As long as we're talking about Burger Chef, I think it's important to note that Anya and I got the opportunity earlier this year to be filmed for a documentary about that case. And that documentary now has an air date. It will be on Investigation Discovery at 10 p.m. on September 5th. Uh, I'm going to read a question from uh, Alora. In your opinion, what do you think it would take for the police to have another press conference and release more information? slash clarify some things like the two completely different sketches? Great question, Alora. Thank you for asking it. I, I think that at this point, the police, Indiana State Police in particular, have shown a willingness to kind of get out there and, and get public to an extent if they feel if they feel they need something from the public. And so you saw that recent run with all the information they released on Keg and Klein after years of kind of 
confusing statements in silence. And I think that was good, you know, because I think it got people on the correct track here in this case. But as for right now, it's very hard to say what they need next or, or what they might come forward with. And I, I say, I, I know Kevin and I have been pretty critical of some of their communication strategy. And it's, it, it is because sometimes we feel like there's maybe a disconnect behind the scenes about, you know, what they know and what they're releasing. And so, I, I mean, just to be going from the track record that they have could be a could be an awfully long while or they could surprise us with some sort of random YouTube drop, you know, and, and it's just kind of anybody's guess. And that's why we're very much dedicated to continuing to conduct journalism in this case, because we think that the public has a right to know what's going on with a public agency investigating one of the largest cases in the state that has taken up a lot of resources and is very important to the communities involved. So I hope that they have something soon, but I don't think we've heard anything behind the scenes indicating that there's going to be any sort of press conference. Is that fair to say, Kevin? That's fair to say. I I strongly disagree with their communication strategy. I don't understand it. And I think five years in, it's pretty obvious that their strategy, whatever it is, does not seem to be working. I think that's fair to say. And we don't know everything that goes on behind the scene, but we do have a we do have a pretty good line on things. And, and I think maybe some things may be more informed about protecting the, the institution than what is you know necessarily correct for the case. That's my that's my opinion. I'm not really referring to any specific accusation that I have. I'm just giving the the uh, the vibe I get. And I, I guess that that's a bit disappointing. But I also do know that there are dedicated detectives on the case. And I hope that they continue to make headway and they are able to inform the public soon about what's going on and what they need from them. Uh, Alora also follows up with another question. Do you think Bridge Guy parked at the CPS building or the cemetery? I think that's an excellent question, and it's well worth discussing and speculating on because where Bridge Guy parked would give us a lot of insight into what his intentions were that day when he arrived at Delphi. Now, we've always made a point to stick to the facts and stick to what we know. And so we can say this is a very good question we don't really have an answer for it. We're, this is one of the things we're trying to find out. Yeah, that's fair to say. I think rather than come down on either the cemetery or the CPS building, I think we'd prefer to just kind of, I think where we try to really kind of provide information is, is where like, what are we getting from police? What are we getting from the behind the scenes of the investigation? And what are they looking at now? And I think like as details come up, we're able to provide those. But I think... That one really hasn't, so I don't really want to say and come down on either side. We have a question from Understand Blue. What are some websites you find useful in doing research? That is a great question. Uh, Number one, my favorite site because it not only gives me a lot of information on old crimes, but also got me a husband, is newspapers.com, which is where Kevin and I actually met. And it's, uh, it's terrific. And uh, Understand Blue goes on to say online news outlets remove or modify stories. And so, yeah, that is frustrating and bad. 
and the nice thing about newspapers.com is that it's a lot of older papers and you can really kind of go back into history and get a huge breadth of original reporting and also unfortunately i mean tragically really in many places local news is hollowing out and people are losing their jobs and there aren't reporters on the ground everywhere and people aren't paid well and it's a nightmare and so those newspapers also harken back to the days where more local newspapers and and news outlets were thriving so it's a great way to kind of see some very intensive coverage on cases that you might be interested in in addition to that i would say that um Facebook can be a real boon for reaching out to people because many people are on Facebook and and that's a way to kind of find sources, reach out to people. You yeah, you should be respectful obviously. I mean we always try to kind of say like listen, we're just here's how we found you. Would you want to talk to us? Instead of just like saying, "Hey, you know, being demanding or something. You don't want to be creepy." But uh that's that's a great thing. Social media, LinkedIn can be great if you're looking for people with specific jobs. Uh, or like who work at a specific place, you know, Chrysler in uh, Kokomo is a good example. Just kind of, you know, see what you can find. And this isn't exactly a website, but one research tool that we found very, very helpful, quite simply, is our audience. Just by doing a podcast like this and telling you all what we're interested in and saying, well, if you know more about this or if you know more about that, we'd really love to hear from you. That's gotten us some great results. That's a really good point. Like, as a collective, we're all so much smarter than just you or I sitting here hanging out, you know, because we don't necessarily have the background knowledge about everything, but people are listening who might, and they can reach out and say, listen, here's my opinion, or here's my experience, and we can kind of get that. And I think we're both very grateful when people reach out with that sort of insight and are able to direct us places. I will I will add that in addition to that, uh, tools like, you know, if you have a, a, a method of getting into like public databases, looking up people's contact information, that's great. That stuff's very helpful. Because, you know, you want to be, if you're talking about people's lives or you're talking about a crime, it's it behooves you to reach out to people and, and get them on the phone. And so, you know, we might, you know, there's different websites that'll let you look up people's phone numbers and they're not always accurate, but sometimes they are. And that can lead to some good connections and talking with people and starting a conversation. Uh, Sally had a question. It's, um, I have heard that the different agencies each has a different POI and theory. So person of interest in theory. And, um, you know, if so, who besides Tony Klein is considered a real person of interest? That's certainly another excellent question. I think we would agree that according to everything we're hearing now from our sources, the focus of the investigation is squarely on the Klein family, certainly from Indiana State Police. That is where the attention is. Now, certainly in the past, that wasn't always true. I believe we've heard that early on some of the local Carroll County authorities thought it might be Ron Logan. And that sort of makes sense because he'd sort of had run-ins with them in terms of DUIs. So I think they were like, oh, he's a, you know, he's on our radar. We need to look at him. We're not saying they still think that. They thought that at one time, according to our source. Yeah, and that's why... The investigation seemed to kind of pivot in March 2017, but 
we can say pretty solidly that now it is back squarely on the clients and that's it. I mean, I, when you think about Delphi, so Indiana state police, FBI, Carroll County sheriff's department and Delphi police are the ones that come up really. And I'm not, we're not hearing about any sort of, uh, turf wars or, or fighting about who the POI is at this point. And I kind of feel like we're in a position where we would probably hear more about that if it was more of a problem. Uh, I can say in the Burger Chef case that we covered, you heard all about like this group had this theory and everyone was fighting and, and nobody was, you know, really working together. And so I'm not, so we're definitely familiar that that, ha you know, with, with cases where that happens, but it's not really what we're hearing about what's going on right now, 2022. Another one from Roberta. Do you believe that uh, Kagan Klein had a change of clothes to avoid being seen with blood? And if he did, that would increase his chances of leaving DNA. Uh, again, that's another one where I don't know. I mean, I, I where I don't think we're really willing to speculate too much about different sort of um, specific uh, details like that, because uh, I don't think we're I don't think we're at the point where we kind of have a lot of clarity on some of the specifics of the crime scene and. I think, again, what we're interested in is what is the investigation doing and who are the players in that and how's it going, basically? I think at this point, based on the sources we've talked to, we have a pretty good idea about the current state of the investigation, at least in terms of the big picture. At this point, we don't know all of the little details. Yeah, e exactly. And I think... For us, I think it's more interesting of like, well, where do we go going forward? I mean, what's going to happen right now? And that's what we'd really like to know, I guess. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle, but it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one -on -one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. EMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.co slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. Go to roe.co slash msheet. That's roe.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We have a question from Candy. Does anyone else feel like more information should be released by police? I would like to say emphatically, Yes. 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 Good question. I'm not sure why they haven't released more information at this point. They have told us, we have heard from someone very high up that the fact that we released information about Kagan Klein, the fact that we released that transcript resulted in them getting some very helpful tips. I believe the word used was actionable tips. And so it seems to me that the lesson they should take from that is if we release some information to the public, maybe the public can help us. And maybe we can finally bring this case to a close. Candy aptly points out, you know, having more details, manner, cause of death could spark someone to maybe think about someone they knew who has a kind of weapon or a fixation with something. And yeah, I mean, that's we did a while ago before we really were so in the weeds with Delphi, a, a kind of a, an episode that was sort of like looking at other double homicides of underage victims in public park settings. You know, so having some of the hallmarks of Delphi. And one thing we were struck by both of those cases that we talked about in that episode was both required members of the public coming forward and giving information. In one case, uh, a man actually captured the killer uh, before he could abduct another child. And so I really feel like I don't feel like the public is necessarily as empowered as they could be with the facts here. And, and you know, I don't. I don't see a really great reason for that being the case. Oftentimes in cases that are unsolved, um, the fact that you have to have hold back information is touted. Hold back information meaning things only the killer would know that we could use to, um, you know, throw out false confessions. And that is inco- that's a very valid and smart way to conduct an investigation. You need to have that. But our understanding from talking with people who are knowledgeable about the case and close to the investigation is that there is a lot of specifics that are not out there and aren't even close to being out there. And so we feel like the amount of unknowns may be actually weighing against the investigation at this point, rather than being a boon to it. And, and frankly, I, I have a question and I don't feel like this has ever really been adequately explained to us. And the question is when, a cache of child sexual abuse materials was found on devices within the Klein residence in 2017. Why was there no legal action taken against, you know, either resident, but I guess specifically Kagan until 2020. And that's something I think everybody should be asking because I feel like that's a public safety threat. And I, I want to, I think, People should be demanding an explanation about why that delay happened. I, I agree. And I will say that we talked with someone the other day 
who gave us an answer to that that seemed plausible. We need to confirm it before we share it with you all. And if we're able to confirm it, I suspect a lot of you would be very upset. Wow, th- what, what a tease. Um, Jason wants us to name friend number one from our uh, transcript. This was somebody who Kagan Klein was living with in Vegas, um, sort of shared a residence with. Uh, we, we made a decision back then that we're not going to name people who are not directly implicated in the crime because that feels life-ruining and unnecessary. So we're going to decline it this time. But rest assured that if, if things you know happen or things develop in a way that maybe things uh, connections with the clients look more relevant, then our calculus may change. But for now, I'm not... I don't think we're going to get into naming people who you know we redacted the first time around and there's a there's a reason for that angela asks have you ever spoken to anyone who has seen kagan klein drive and how often or have they always had to give him rides i don't know whether we specifically have asked anybody about kagan klein's driving habits or lack thereof i know there's been a lot of discussion about this given that kagan claimed to get um have some sort of seizure disorder which would uh i think possibly make him unable to drive um but i mean i'd be interested i guess if anybody if any of our listeners today knows him and and knows the answer to that please you know email murdersheet at gmail.com could certainly point to you know how mobile he was and how much you know he was able to get out by himself or you know drive people around or whatnot Leslie asked us to cover a, a different case, a missing college student from IWU, Trisha Reitler. I'll say I'm not familiar with that case. We're definitely looking into it. One thing we always appreciate is when people suggest cases to us that they find interesting, that they feel deserve to get more attention and more coverage. Rebecca asked if any of our sources have given us any indication as to why Tony Klein is not locked up like his son on the child sexual abuse material charges. No one's given an answer that fully satisfies us, to be honest. Uh, It's a good question. It's something we've been really trying to get to the bottom of. All I can say at this point is just, from what we understand, it's it's very difficult to prove child sexual abuse materials cases when there's a lot of technological um, factors involved, different devices and whatnot. And, you know, it's one thing to have somebody's phone laden with it but it's it's another thing to you know prove who exactly was looking at at what time and and what user and whatnot so um you know i think with these cases there often are a lot of considerations that you know as as people who are not prosecutors we're not necessarily taking into consideration right now but it's certainly uh it's certainly interesting nolan asked a great question can you get investigator david Vito on the podcast maybe after kagan anthony klein's trial We would love to get David Vito on the podcast, but I will be very honest and say we have never even asked David Vito for an interview. And the reason for that is he is actively investigating this case. And as you say, he's very sharp, a very intelligent man. He's not going to go out and give public comments on a case he is investigating. If he's ever willing to or, you know, he feels that would be good, then we would be very, very interested, I guess. And then we got some other case suggestions from Sandy, Andy, and Amber. 
They suggest the Yogurt Shop murders, the Bowling Alley murders, the Springfield 3, the Cassidy Rainwater cannibal murder, and the Courtney Stouffer case from Pennsylvania. We'll have to look into all of these. Uh, some of them I'm familiar with, and then others actually I've never heard of. So I, I would be interested in checking those out. And thank you all for the suggestions. Kim Harris asks, in the Delphi case, why was nothing about the first search warrant for the Bicycle Roadhouse? Anything on getting the affidavit for that one? Uh, if anybody wants to give us affidavits or uh, anything, any interesting documents on this case or otherwise, we definitely would encourage you to email murdersheet at gmail.com. But as for why we don't have it, I, I mean, again, <laughs> you know, send us any documents you have. We'll take a look at it uh, and, and, you know, be, be interested in it, whether it's Delphi or other cases, we're always interested in obtaining court documents um, and investigative documents for sure. Rich wants to know what Tony Klein is up to these days. Did he move? Does he hide at home? Does he walk around as if nothing is happening? Uh, what do you think? He, from what we hear, we talk to a lot of Peruvians who see him out and about. So he, they see him getting gas. They see him at stores. And so he's definitely not in hiding. He uh, seems to put on some bravado, uh, as we've talked about in our last Who is Tony Klein Part 4 episode. And he, uh, you know, is Mr. Happy Cool Guy, but I think in reality he's on leave from work and seemingly had some sort of major foot surgery recently. So I think maybe some of that is, is a facade, <laughs> I would have to imagine, because, you know, I mean, the town knows what he's, what he's about at this point, and I think people are kind of keeping an eye out, but... As for a cop uh, standing outside his house, I don't know. No idea what sort of surveillance is going on there. But it's definitely it's definitely interesting. And when you consider the dynamic of a young man, a 28-year-old man, um, locked up, facing possible decades behind bars, and his father is the one kind of going out and having a grand old time and getting all sorts, you know, just acting like everything's great, it's sort of an odd picture because you'd think that even if a parent in that situation was not directly implicated in a crime, they would be just kind of devastated over, you know, what their son was experiencing and how their life was in some ways kind of over, at least for the time being. And that doesn't seem to be the case here, which I think is interesting. Uh, Kay asks, how were the FBI able to publicly clear the clients from any involvement in the girls' homicides so quickly? Referring to a 2017 statement an officer, an agent made to the press, uh, the journal Courier. And that's interesting because we recently heard something from a source that would explain exactly what happened. And I don't mean to be a tease. It's a source that we have the utmost faith in but we don't feel that's something we can share until we get it confirmed by another source. For the time being, I can just say that it's really weird for the FBI to have done that, essentially, because there's ways to basically downplay the raid on the Klein's household and say we're looking at a lot of different people without necessarily saying we don't think they had anything to do with it. I mean, it could have been it could have been a simple no comment or it could have been a simple, uh, you know, this is just one of many avenues we're looking at and we're pursuing all leads with all vigor, you know, and like, boom, you got an answer. And, 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 you know, 
the press can say, well, maybe it's this house or maybe it's another house that's going to be down the line. Who knows? But to have him go out there and say, we don't think they had anything to do with it is, is was an odd choice. And usually people who are like FBI agents or lawyers or whatnot choose their language more carefully than that. And I just, we've reached out to the FBI agent who made the statement and we, you know, want to get an answer from him, but we have not heard back yet. And we, other than something we haven't really confirmed yet, we kind of don't have much by way of explanation. I don't really think there is a good explanation for it, though. Alexis wonders, did the police gather from family and friends the social media that the girls were using at the time they went missing? And could this have given some indication uh, as to whether or not someone had been profiling them or if there was a pattern to their visits? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we don't know, honestly. Uh, I I don't know anything along those lines in terms of police figuring out social media with people who knew the girls. Although, obviously, now it turns out that social media is a very important factor in this case. But, again, given some of the delays that we've kind of discussed in terms of having this be... Uh, the clients are on the radar in 2017 and then seemingly nothing happens until 2020. Then I think one concern that I have is in that time period, are people forgetting things about social media use? If it's not, if it's not coming up or if it's not being investigated th at that point, I don't know, but it's definitely an important question and one that we hope, <laughs> hope that they've done a lot of work in. Jacqueline, uh, wants our take on the Doomsday Mom case, a.k.a. the Lori Vallow Daybell case. That's the case of a mother and uh, and her new husband, I believe, murdering her kids because they thought there was some sort of doomsday coming. I, I honestly only know um, the basics from just kind of casual media consumption. But, I mean, those poor kids, just an awful situation all around. And heart goes out to their families and friends because that's just nightmarish uh rick wants to know do you know about any trail cam video that shows several people entering the trail and returning uh no <laughs> to, to be totally honest no if you know about any trail cam video that's interesting or you have some inside information again you know murder sheet at gmail.com we're definitely open to uh getting all sorts of information and learning more but um at the time i've i've not heard about that Rick wants to know why... Oh, Rick also wants to know why would the police allow a known sexual predator to run free for years knowing his crimes? That's that's almost seems to be the big question of the case right now. I hope at the end of the day, the police give the public a full accounting of everything that happened in this case, including judgments like that and other possible uh, mistakes and missteps that may have complicated things. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued 
by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Uh, Georgia wants to know, uh, we just did an episode on uh, the West Memphis 3 case uh, and and wanted to know if we would be possibly interviewing anyone in the near future who will present the uh, the innocence argument for the three uh, accused who were convicted in their case. We we kind of just had a, a guest on, Danny, she was amazing, who kind of uh, went over a pretty strong case for guilt in that situation. We reached out to Bob Ruff, who is probably the media figure who in recent years is most closely associated with making a case for the innocence of those three. Uh, we offered him a chance to come on and make his case, and he declined. But uh, we are always interested in getting different sides of cases, and so we definitely would be interested in hearing somebody make the case for innocence. I think it could get an interesting discussion going, so we're definitely open to it, but just have to find the right person who wants to come on and get into it. I'll note that uh, about a year ago, we had an interview on the show with the captain from True Crime Garage. I think the discussion we had with him was pretty respectful. It was obvious that he didn't agree with us and we didn't agree with him. But at the end of the discussion, uh, I think all parties had a better understanding of where the other person was coming from. And we emerged from that interview experience having a, a pretty friendly relationship with the captain. So even if you're someone who disagrees with us or anything we've said on the show, I think it's helpful for you to come on and discuss it with us. Discussions are always very helpful. I think we went into it kind of like, well, what are you doing? You know, and then I think he went into it kind of like, who are these people? And then we had actually a we, we didn't back down on our points. I mean, we were very much like sticking with like what we think is a best the best way to cover this. But we came away understanding his points. And I think everyone was the better for it because it's like now we can all kind of have some empathy and kind of understand it. And maybe, you know, maybe we're all kind of taking different perspectives into consideration. So those are some of my, so those are some of my favorite things, because I think dialogue is almost always going to be a positive thing, especially in true crime where it's like, it's, it's a very serious topic. It's a very, um, grim topic. We're all trying to get to the bottom of things. And I think having some room for discussion where people can disagree, but aren't calling each other names or 
you know, assuming the absolute worst motivations about one another is probably a good thing. And, you know, if we can be a space where that can happen, I think that would be awesome. Rebecca has an interesting question. Is there any chance of getting a transcript of Kevin Klein's interview with police just after they raided his house a mere two weeks after the Delphi murders? I think that would be very interesting since investigators referred to it a few times in the August 2020 transcript. If you have it, murdersheet at gmail.com. Send it over. But um, but seriously, I think, yeah. I mean, all of these transcripts presumably exist somewhere, but getting them is another matter entirely, you know? And, and I think we've, since we've released some transcripts, we've gotten a lot, some very, very good information, some good sources on the case, but we definitely would love to continue running with some of the documents because I think they really tell a huge story about, like, what exactly do you police care about you know and and what exactly what exactly what were the conversations in 2020 versus 2017 and if you follow this case online you might have seen there are other places that claim to have leaked documents and they're not really actual documents people have used photoshop and stuff to create their own fake documents and so anytime we release documents we really work hard to verify them in order to make sure that the information we're sharing with you all is accurate. And that's actually the reason why we put our watermark on the documents. People wonder why we do that. The reason why we do that is if you see a document and it has the watermark, please know that we have done efforts to verify that it is true. And if it is not watermarked and people say, oh, this is a document that the murder sheet put out, we can't stand behind it if it's not watermarked because we haven't verified it. Yeah, if we just start dropping unverified, unredacted, unwatermarked stuff, then I feel like we're just sowing chaos online. And and so it's basically our way of, you know, a journalist puts their byline on a piece. We put our bylines on the documents that we come up with because we're letting people know this is from us. So if, you know, whatever you want to say about it, we're taking ownership for it. We're not, we're not hiding behind, like, you know, let's just dump it on, you know, online and kind of run. I think we're trying to, you know, let people know that like this came from us and that means you can feel about it however you feel about us or you can kind of take it or leave it basically. And yeah, so that's, that's something we've tried to be, you know, in terms of, we've tried to be responsible in terms of how we kind of go about releasing things in addition to, you know, redactions. Amy wants to know if we've communicated with Libby and Abby's families. Uh, she, he, she's heard some people say they don't like the info murder sheet has been putting out and was curious if there's any truth to that. Uh, since you post info by law enforcement before publishing, uh, you know, just like what's what's the situation with the relationship there? We want to respect the privacy of the family. And so we're not going to get into details about the nature of our communication with Libby's family. But we will say we do have a relationship with Libby's family. We do communicate with them regularly. We let them know whenever we cover Delphi, we tell them about it in advance. And I feel that our relationship with them is very positive. Uh, I would also note that a lot of the people who seem to be loudest about saying the family was angry with us were not actually members of the family. And then with Abby's 
family, I think different families who are facing such an immense tragedy of the magnitude of losing these two girls are going to react differently and maybe have, you know, maybe some people are going to be, want to be very involved in day-to-day coverage and, and things like that and kind of be talking and not everyone is. And so that's, that's all I'll say about that. I think it's just a situation where people aren't required to respond and go do interviews and whatnot, you know, and if that's what people want to do, then that's great. And if they don't want to do that, then that's also completely fine and valid. So Patrick wants to know, can you break the Samsung phone model that Kagan broke just by sitting on it as he claims? <laughs> I, can, I can say that uh, I'm probably not going to do that task, <laughs> but I do have a Samsung phone. Uh, I've had some accidents and stuff with it. It never came close to breaking. I think it would be pretty difficult to break it. What do you think? Yeah, I never even thought about that, but yeah, that sounds sounds a bit bonkers. I've certainly sat on this phone before. I think you've sat on it. Our dog has sat on it. I've dropped it. I I don't think you could do that. I don't think your body could do that. Maybe like if a car drove over it or something. <laughs> I don't. That seems very unlikely. I never even thought about that. I forgot that he said that, but that's a wild thing to say. Yeah, the body is soft. Yeah, we're just sacks of water, right? And most chairs and stuff you sit on are also soft. So, but let's say, let's say sake of argument is like a wooden chair. Okay. He, he puts his phone on a wooden chair and then he sits down on it. You know, unless it's like wedged up like that. I, how does that even happen? How much force, maybe some physic physicists can help us here. Like how much force do you need to like break your average smartphone? But I imagine as Kevin said, you know, your body's soft most chairs and couches are soft. Even if you're talking about the floor that he's sitting on or a, or a hard chair, it feels like, feels hard to believe. Uh, Lauren said uh, for Delphi, uh, so if the cops know if it's one of the clients, primarily dad, was wouldn't all the old press conferences point to them when going back and listening to them? I've tried to listen again and have that aha moment or the moment where he's definitely talking about them and I can't place it. Maybe you could dive more into press releases compared to the suspects. One thing, uh, I don't remember the exact date, but one thing you'll find, Lauren, I think if you look back, is there's a certain press conference where I believe Doug Carter alludes to a, a change in the investigation and alludes to the possibility of, we looked at you very early on and then we kind of pivoted, and now we're pivoting back to you. And we feel like that's maybe what you're looking for in terms of an indication of where the clients sit in all this. I don't think at this point that we believe that they've been looking into them since 2017. I think our feeling, and I think <laughs> our sources seem to bear this out, is that the clients were looked at strongly in 2017, something happened, and then they were looked at strongly in 2020. And, you know, the, the gap there is what's interesting and what we want to know more about. But I think some of Doug Carter's comments do actually indicate that somebody fitting that mold is currently a lead suspect. Christy says, I'm listening to the West Memphis three episode. I'm very confused about why you would go this route. I can say part of it is I've made no secret about the fact that I am an attorney. And that means sometimes when things happen in the true crime space, 
that some people don't quite understand, understandably because they're not attorneys themselves, they're sending me emails saying, why did this happen? Can you explain this? And recently, Damien Eccles filed a motion to have some evidence tested for DNA, and that motion was denied. And a lot of people contacted me and said, why did this happen? And I also saw lots of comments on Facebook, on Reddit, and on Twitter, where people were very frustrated by the fact that this motion was denied. They didn't understand it. They thought it was an injustice. There was a wide gulf out there. People who are legal experts, people who are attorneys, knew all along that this motion was destined to fail. And people out there who don't have that specialized knowledge were shocked, they were outraged, they were confused. And whenever there is whenever there is a situation out there where people could benefit from having knowledge that I could share, I like to share it. And so we decided to do an episode outlining why that motion was basically destined to fail from the beginning. And then it seemed as long as we're doing that, the next question is, well, what about the case itself? So I think that was really the impetus to do that episode. Plus, I think West Memphis 3 is a case that has suffered from a lot of half-truths and certain stirring narratives that have kind of permeated the culture. And to me, as a journalist, that interests me of, of how, why does one narrative you know, stick out to people and, and sort of rise above, even in the face of a lot of evidence? And, and what, what sort of sticks with people. And I think kind of what our conversation with Danny does is kind of get to that and sort of maybe make you rethink. Because one thing, unfortunately, that the true crime space is known for is kind of breathlessly going along with different narratives that sort of appeal to people and not necessarily doing a lot of research to back themselves up or kind of look into cases. And it's, it's just kind of... And you know what? To be fair to the true crime space... That's the media in general, oftentimes. You have you have sometimes things that are just accepted without much critical thinking and questioning. And what we try to do is encourage people to be critical. You know, be critical thinkers and kind of think about it in a way where, you know, maybe 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 kind of getting your own information or looking at actual court documents is the way to go as opposed to just, you know, hearing a sympathetic interview with somebody on some sort of, you know, documentary. I guess also as an attorney, I'm a big believer in the system basically where one side gets up and makes the strongest possible case for Zig. And then another uh, person stands up and makes the, the strongest possible argument for Zag. When you hear those two arguments, you hear them both and you analyze them and you decide for yourself which one is true. And in this particular case, I feel a lot of people have spent decades putting out the argument for the innocence of these men. I have not heard so often a strong, articulate argument explaining why so many people, including the court system, believe these three men to be guilty. So from my point of view, you don't have to agree with Danny. You can still believe, if you want, that those three men are innocent but your belief will be more informed and more valuable if you come to the conclusions of their innocence 
after you've heard the strongest possible arguments for their guilt. I don't think a lot of want, uh, I don't think a lot of people want to be challenged like that, but we hope that, you know, people who listen to this show do because I think, you know, holding people's hands is not really something that people should be doing in the true crime space or or putting out a feel good narrative, you know, and I think Frankly, I think as a as a culture, as a as a community in true crime, we could all do a lot better with perhaps uh, discarding ready made narratives that are put out by, you know, slick and media informed defense attorneys. <laughs> and I think I think that would be I think that would be better for cases of actual you know innocent people who are wrongfully convicted. I think that would be better for the system. But I think if you know you hear a story and it kind of goes with your pre preconceived biases and, and notions, you know, whether that's from the police, whether that's from the prosecutor, whether that's from the defense, that's kind of what you click into. And I think what we would encourage people to do is just kind of hear a lot of different sides in these cases and, and kind of engage with it and then come to a conclusion that you double down on, but don't double down on the conclusion before you've heard everything. Because I've been guilty of that. I mean, geez, I've like watched documentaries and be like, wow, here, you know, you know, now I'm, I'm parroting the thesis of whatever this documentary was trying to say. And then you look back and you're like, wait a minute, they didn't put that in there. They certainly didn't want us to know this fact. And, you know, it's just you kind of learn that an honest documentarian, an honest filmmaker, an honest journalist, an honest media figure will we'll try to be nuanced and balanced, but a lot of them aren't. And a lot of these products are basically just press releases for one side or the other. And I think, you know, discarding that and rejecting that is, is going to be good, no matter whether it's for the defense, prosecutor, police, whatever. We, we have to all be more critical in this space. Uh, we got a lot of great questions. We'd like to thank you for these questions. And if you're interested, we invite you to join our Patreon and you can join in video chats with us twice a month where you can ask us any questions you want as well. Yeah, thanks again, everyone. You guys ask great questions. And as always, we really appreciate you being so engaged and, uh, you know, seeking knowledge and seeking information about these different cases. We appreciate you. To our surprise... We've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murder sheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murder sheet. Thanks for the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on the Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to the Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure and send tips, suggestions, and feedback to MurderSheet at gmail.com.
Thanks so much for listening.